Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everybody, it's Devin with a reminder to sign up for our free live taping we'll be doing over Zoom this Wednesday, May 13th at 5.30 p.m. You can pop in and see how we produce an interview for the Bay with one of our reporters, Marisa Lagos, who is going to be talking with us about how COVID-19 is impacting the 2020 elections. We got details for you in our show notes. There are these pictures I remember seeing in the first few days of sheltering in place. People were sharing them all over social media. They were of clear, crisp skies and wild animals roaming national parks. These stay-at-home orders have been hard on a lot of people. But one side effect is that it's shown us our human footprint and what the world might look like if we messed with it less. We have another curve that we need to flatten, which is our emissions curve. And um, it's going to take collective action and we need to do it together. And it's about government policy and it's also about the choices that you make as an individual. The huge drop of cars on the road is good for emissions. But in the long run, so much more still needs to be done. And when it comes to stopping climate change, we still don't know whether the pandemic will make our policies better or worse. Today, how COVID-19 could affect the future of the climate crisis. I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I mean, I think it was uh, easy for anyone to see within a few days of the stay-at-home orders being issued that there was no cars on the road. Kevin Stark is a reporter and digital producer for KQED Science, and he started thinking about how the pandemic might impact climate change right from the start. 
I remember biking down to the Golden Gate Bridge within a few days of the Bay Area's order at 5.30 on a Thursday. And it was just, there was, just wasn't anyone. Um, and so I, I think that got me thinking about it pretty early on. And then we got estimates from from a bunch of different groups and researchers and the local air quality district. And uh, yeah, I think it, it started to roll out pretty fast after that. Do we have any good measurements of how big of an effect these, uh, these stay-at-home orders and people not commuting have had on the Bay Area? We do. Yeah, we're getting better and better estimates. Um, and I, we just got a really good one, actually, from UC Davis. So they looked at this statewide and found that driving is down 75%, which is a huge decline. And that has an associated drop of smog and also of emissions. So it's a big deal. And I know in California, we we have our own climate goals that we're hoping to meet. Do you know how well the state was doing to meet those goals before the pandemic hit? Absolutely. So we met our last goal and we met it pretty early. Um, and that really had to do with our our utilities and how we were getting power. California has made a massive investment in renewable energy and it's finally paying off. Our next goal at 2030, we were not on track to meet that target. And we weren't on track to meet that target largely for one reason. And that was that while we have been able to reduce emissions through our power sector and reduce emissions through industry regulations and some other um, state rules, we haven't really been able to stop our transportation emissions from rising. Tonight, a race against the clock before the Bay Area commute goes from very bad to much, much worse. There are more cars and trucks on the road than ever. And this goes back to kind of like um, some original problems, climate problems that California hasn't been able to solve because we have such sprawling cities and our suburbs are so vast and we have people that commute all the time. So now that we are driving 75% less, how is that impacting California's climate goals? Well, that puts us on track to meet the 2030 target. Uh, That doesn't mean that we are going to meet it, but if we were to continue at this uh, rate of emissions, we, w- we would get there. Now, <laughs> obviously, this is not a sustainable policy. It's not a way to fight climate change, but it is a really interesting window into what that might look like. And it's not a way to fight climate change because it's not realistic? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we our economy is on ice, and um, there's no way to expect that that would continue Um, But that's not to say that we're not learning anything from this moment. I think there's actually a lot to learn from this moment. Kevin says that some businesses could permanently change how they operate and rely a lot more on video conferencing and the Internet. And this includes the government. For example, you could go to court or the DMV remotely instead of having to drive in. But traveling is just one part of the equation because there are still lots of infrastructure projects throughout California that are meant to help address climate change. And some of those initiatives are in danger. There is sort of a short-term and a long-term outlook. And I think the short-term, what you're seeing is that, uh, you know, with the economy constricting investment into, you know, really innovative projects, uh, renewable energy projects, that sort of thing is constricting with it. I think that um, there's a lot of people in the policy world that are looking to how we turn the economy back on. And I think they think that one of the best ways to do that is to invest in 
renewable energy and a lot of these projects so that when we kind of come out of this, we're rebuilding a world that looks more like where we want to be. Kevin says some of these projects are less of a priority right now during the pandemic. Like last year, Berkeley became the first U.S. city to ban natural gas in new buildings and homes. Some other Bay Area cities followed, but now the incentives for those projects have started to disappear. There was also work on renewable grids to help communities deal with power shutoffs during wildfire season. Those stopped at the beginning of the shelter-in-place orders. They've since picked back up, but Kevin says it's part of a pattern. In our society, when we have been in moments of crisis, these kind of regulations and these protections that we have on the environment are, are oftentimes the first to go. The Trump administration today moved to roll back another federal regulation intended to reduce global warming. It would require U.S. vehicles to improve mileage standards an average of one and a half percent between 2021 through 2026 instead of five percent a year. Even here in California, you know, I, I think it's not always a priority when you're trying to solve a crisis. You know, we've also seen public transit take huge hits here in the Bay Area. And there's this big question of whether people will feel safe riding buses and trains in the near future. Is there a fear from the people who you talk to that we might actually see more cars on the road because people don't want to ride public transit? Absolutely. And that's the thing about some of the gains that we're seeing is that if we go back to our driving patterns that were the same as as they were before, or if we're driving more then maybe we have a good year in terms of meeting our climate targets, but it's just back to where we were, or it's maybe maybe even worse. Yeah, and I and I think that is that is a real fear that you know people aren't going to want to get into a crammed bark car, and so they're going to decide to drive in to the city instead. Um, I I think a lot of that is speculative at this moment because we still have to wait to see how long we're going to be in this situation. Can you give us a sense of the best and the worst case scenarios in terms of how effectively we can respond to the climate crisis after the pandemic's over? I don't want to be too predictive because I, th- I think we'll probably be wrong, um, as, as uh, journalists typically are when we try and predict the future. But I, I do see a couple, there's sort of a pessimistic and an optimistic out- outlook for how uh, we could come out of this, um, at least based on the information that we have right now. The best case scenario is they were able to capture some of the reduction in driving and the improvements that we're experiencing in air quality and the fact that we're dumping a lot less CO2 into the atmosphere right now and able to put that into effect in a world in which our economy turns on again. And California has shown in the past that you can grow your economy while reducing emissions, but California has never shown that you can, at the same time, grow your economy and reduce emissions from transportation. This is truly a specific problem in California. And so I think the best case scenario is that we learn something through this that we can apply to that. The worst case is that we go back to how it was a few months ago, or that, as you alluded to, we drive more because we're scared of using public transit. And we know that public transit is, is going to be crucial for us, but al- already people hate their commutes. And if they're adding on to that, this fear that 
they could be contracting a viral illness. It's just going to make it much harder. While we're also seeing so many people take shelter in place seriously and you know not commuting as much, we're also seeing a very uneven response from different states and also a lack of coordination on the federal level too. So I wonder, because climate change is such a global issue, how much does that disrupt any progress that might be made after this in climate change? That's a great point. And internationally, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere continues to go up. And some of the things that work here in California, this idea of, of uh, tele-everything, telecommuting being a way to fight climate change, that doesn't necessarily work in other places. And that doesn't work because a lot of other places don't have the sort of mature climate policies that we have. Um, and they're also fighting different issues. A lot of the world still burns coal to produce energy uh, and also for heat. And that is one of the key drivers of carbon emissions around the globe. So if you're working at home and your home is powered by coal, then it doesn't mean you're getting any savings. Sheltering in place is really painful for a lot of people, but they're doing it because it's something they believe in. They're doing it for public health. Is there anything about the way the public has responded that climate scientists can learn from? Yeah. So Fraser Schilling is a researcher at UC Davis, and he studied how people were traveling around the state. I think we're going to learn a lot during this intervening period. How do we telecommute? How do we arrange our work at home, our um, shopping trips, our, all of our travel in a different way? He's quite optimistic in a way that you don't often hear from uh, climate scientists. Right now, the goal we're trying to meet is reduced COVID-19 transmission. But another survival goal could be to reduce climate change, because that is a survival goal. So how do we meet that goal? And that could also include reduced driving. He feels the view that, you know, we're just going to go back to the way things were. People aren't going to learn anything. It's kind of fatalistic. And he said it's like you're walking on the edge of a cliff. If you just have this idea, I'm going to fall off the cliff and die, then you may increase your chances of doing that. Um, but if you are more optimistic and you say, I'm not going to fall, I'm going to try really hard to not fall off the cliff, um, then maybe you're more likely to succeed. So to me, being optimistic is a better survival strategy. Obviously, you report on climate environment, but like a, a lot of other reporters, now you're focusing a lot more on stories related to COVID-19. What's been on your mind the most about this as, you know, you talk to people and you read stories? I think what's really interesting about this moment is as a public, we've had to stare into the face of really complicated scientific projections with inherent uncertainty. And from that, we've taken guidelines that we have put into action and we have, in a lot of places, been, as, as we say a lot now, flattening the curve. Uh, so that's kind of a language that fits really well into um, this fight against climate change. And, and, you know, I've heard climate advocates, including the governor of, of Washington, Jay Inslee, who ran for president on a platform of fighting climate change, that, you know, this is kind of like uh, a mini, mini fight against climate change where, you know, we have to absorb this really dense science and, and make decisions about our lives. And we've shown that we can really effectively do that and that the public can handle uncertainty. They can, 
They can handle difficult science. And we have a way of talking about it now that we did not before, which is that we have another curve that we need to flatten, which is our emissions curve. And um, it's going to take collective action and we need to do it together. And it's about um, it's about government policy. And it's also about the choices that you make as an individual. There are so many other ways we produce greenhouse gases, everything from the way we farm to the way we build, really the whole way our normal lives worked before this pandemic, which means if we want to stave off the worst effects of the climate crisis, whatever happens after this needs to be different. It's a total reorganization of the way that we create energy, how our economies function. It is a huge undertaking. Kevin Stark is a reporter and digital producer for KQED Science. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for The Bay. Talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.